1: Fill her up! You're listening to the Gas Digital Network.
0: We need to roll back the state. We spy on all of our own citizens. Our prisons are flooded with non-violent drug offenders. If you want to know who America's next enemy is, look at who we're funding right now. Every single one of these problems are a result of government being way too big. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to a brand new episode of Part of the Problem. I am uh, so grateful today to have returning to the show Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Of course, uh, he, he's been on the show before. It's been a little while for everybody listening. I'm sure everybody knows um, he is a candidate for president of the United States of America, an independent candidate and the first viable uh, third party candidate since Ross Perot, I would say. Pro- so th- probably the second one in my lifetime who is outside of the two major parties and actually has a chance to be the next president of the United States. So, Mr. Kennedy, thank you so much for joining us again. How are you? How's the campaign trail going?
1: Thank you. It's going well. I mean, I you know, the crowds are getting bigger and bigger and more intense. The polling is good. I'm now leading uh President Biden and President Trump in Americans under 45 years age in the six battleground states and then under 35 all across the country. Uh, I'm leading in independence, which is the biggest, uh, this is the first election in American history where, uh, where independence is the biggest voting block. And um, and then I'm I, we're in a three-way tie with Hispanic votes. I'm polling at Twenty four percent. And I think it was the Quinnipiac poll, which puts me only 10 points from victory because all I need is 34, theoretically, uh, to win the election because it's winner take all.
0: Yeah, right. Well, it it changes things drastically when there's three viable candidates rather than two, which is something we're very not used to seeing in American presidential politics. And I say this as a member of the Libertarian Party, who I, I wish we were always offering up a, a, you know, a true contender. But the reality of the situation is, is that just hasn't been the landscape in American politics. As I mentioned, since really Ross Perot in 1992, I think was the last one. And in my lifetime, I think the only one.
1: Yeah. And then why I heard that you were going to, I'd be the candidate for the libertarian party which would have been very exciting. i'm glad i'm not running against
0: you that would be very <laughs> formidable you'd be the most formidable opponent i have but uh what happened well th- well thank you sir i appreciate that yes there, there were i was considering it for a period of time there were a lot of people in the libertarian party who wanted me to run ultimately it just came down to kind of uh family decisions i have Two very little kids, and it just seemed like a little bit too much for me to to take on right now. Um, we went through a lot of things. My my son had some serious health problems. Um, all better now. He's doing great. But it was just a little bit a little bit too much of an undertaking for me in 2024. But maybe maybe <laughs> in 2028 20, we, we'll we'll go head to head. Would you consider the vice presidency? Oh man. Right? <laughs> what are you trying to do to me you're gonna offer me a vice presidency on a Kennedy ticket that's dangerous I might end up being president or something like that I have uh, actually that probably it'd probably be good insurance for you because I'm no LBJ I don't think they that's want to get you out of the way exactly why I want you <laughs> so that's it you want me as your uh, life insurance program okay all right you're you know worst, what well played
1: first version of myself that nobody's gonna want.
0: Yeah, okay. Well, there there you go. Okay, so I'll, you know what, I might, in, in that case, I might consider it. But you got to give me something like, my, my task has to be something very simple that I don't have to leave home from or, or home for or something like that. Um, so I don't know. Or I could be, listen, where, here's where we agree. I'll, I'll be in charge of your Ukrainian policy. So I'll, I'll take that role. Good. All right. <laughs> so, all right. Well, I want to, uh, first off, I really want to say that I really appreciate you coming on. And I appreciate you coming on the first time, but even more so this time. Um, so as you know, and everybody who who listens to to this show knows i was um extremely interested in in your campaign um there there was a while there where i swear people listening to the show know uh, almost every other episode of this show it could have been called the defending bobby kennedy podcast because it was almost like every week there'd be a new attack on you in in the media and you know my producer and my co-host would be emailing what are we going to talk about today and i'd be like well they're lying about bobby again so let's let's do a show about that and your um your your opposition to uh, funding the proxy war in Ukraine, uh, uh, in this insane proxy war of choice on Russia's border, um, and it, and especially just your deep knowledge of the history and what actually led to this conflict uh, uh, was just nothing short of heroic. Your criticism of the COVID regime and the COVID vaccine and the pharmaceutical industrial complex and the deep state and the neoconservative war machine. All, all of them, I, I find to be nothing short of heroic. I, I am, however, deeply disappointed and, and frankly, kind of dumbfounded by your position on Israel's war in Gaza. And I now I tweeted something to this effect, and uh, you reached out to me immediately afterward and said you'd like to come on the show and and discuss it. So that I I have nothing but respect for. I think that's a truly noble, um, r- response. And so I'm grateful that you you've come on here. Uh, let's talk about this a little bit and, and maybe I can understand where you're coming from better. Um, maybe there's something that I'm missing. Let me start by asking you this. We are now as a direct result of, of this conflict, we have Biden launching bombing campaigns against the Houthis. We've had three Americans who were just killed in Jordan and the big topic on discussion right now is how Biden is going to respond. Of course, all of the hawks, which still permeate our political class, are all calling for war in Iran. Um, what do you Have you changed your position at all on this? Does the threat of a wider war uh, give you pause on kind of the blank check support for Israel's war in Gaza? Or are you still steadfast in we must support them till the end?
1: No, I mean, you know, let me, let me give some context. First of all, you know, I am, uh, I am, I I think people who, uh, that criticism of Israel is fair, and I encourage people to do that. It's a democracy. And, you know, I'm not a fan of, of Bibi Netanyahu's. I'm a long-term critic of his. I think what happens in the Mideast and everywhere is that the, the zealots on both sides, the militarists on both sides feed on each other, and that they have a symbiotic relationship with each other, and that everything they do to uh, to escalate the, the violence and the hatred actually empowers their, uh, their uh, partner on the other side. And I think Netanyahu uh, is in this very perverse partnership with Hamas. Uh, I'm a opponent of the Likud. I was a a vocal uh, protester against the so-called judicial reforms. In Israel last summer, 20% of the people in Israel you know, came out onto the street, one of the biggest demonstrations in the history of that nation. It has the, the best judiciary, the most humane judiciary in the world. You know, I'm a, a lawyer and a constitutional lawyer, and uh, I know there is no judiciary in the world that has taken the positions that the courageous positions that Israel's Supreme Court, and by the way, there are Palestinians on that court and as there are Palestinians at every level of the, of the Israeli judiciary. Um, I oppose the settlements in the West Bank. Uh, they're illegal under Israeli law and they're illegal under international law. And, um, and, I, and I'm generally opposed to wars. I'm not, you know, I think there are just wars very few of the wars that we have fought, particularly in the last century, have been just, I would say, World War II is alone in that category. I, you know, my grandfather vigorously opposed World War I and was, and lost a lot of his friendships during that period, and my uncle, John Kennedy, felt the same way. We should have never gotten involved in that war. And I feel the same way, that that was a war of choice. Um, uh, world War II was not; it was a just war, in my view. Uh, we were attacked at Pearl Harbor, and we responded by declaring war on the Japanese and their allies uh, in the Axis power. And Hitler was a uh, a disease and Nazism that had to be eradicated, and it, and there would be no peace in uh, in the world until. Germany was denazified in fact at Casablanca Roosevelt and Churchill had a big fight about it because Roosevelt had made the announcement during Casablanca without checking with Churchill demanding unconditional surrender which meant denazification and the you know and the elimination of Hitler and Churchill got furious at him because he said that's going to cause every german to fight until the last man and Roosevelt said, there will never be any peace uh, until that, until we denazify. And that objective caused 2 million German civilians their lives. So we killed 2 million German civilians in order to destroy Hitler and denazify the government. And as a result of that, we did the same thing in Japan. We had mass destruction of civilians, including you know, bombs, uh, atomic bombs on their cities which you can argue, a lot of people argue, we should not have done. And I think that those arguments have a lot of merit. But the fact is, we, we did it. And as a result of that, of, of uh, demilitarizing Japan and denazifying Germany, those competent countries became the two of the richest countries in the world. Europe, uh, Germany is the richest country and most powerful country in Europe. And Japan, until the rise of China, was by far the wealthiest country And Asia. Um, both of them were very, very close uh, uh, allies of the United States. They shared our values. They were friends to a long. They've been long-term friends with to us. But it required, at the outset, that we, um, you know, that we make that. Profound sacrifice, which included the you know the butchery of millions of people who were innocent. Oh, I see Gaza in the same way, Dave. I, I I'm pro-Palestinian. I want the best for the Palestinian people. I believe in a two-state solution, with, which Netanyahu does not. I believe that the Palestinians, you know, I have great friendships among the Palestinians. And and by the way, I'll say this a Palestinian pled guilty to the murder of my father. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of evidence that he had killed my father. He was certainly part of the ambush that killed my father. And then in 19, that was in 1968, and my family wrote a letter to Judge Walker at that time, pleading with the judge not to give Sir Ann the death penalty, even though everybody in my family believed that he had killed my father. And, uh, and then in 1971, my elder brother, Joe, who was older by, than me by one year, um, was hijacked by Palestinian terrorists and, and who demanded the release of Sirhan. And his plane was uh, bought to, it was landed in the desert in Yemen and then blown up and burned. And luckily my brother was released Uh, But, you know, I have plenty of reason if I wanted to to hold a grudge against Palestinians. But for the past 10 years, I've worked hard, hard and soul to get Cerner and Serhan out of prison Uh, for two reasons. One, I believe that he served more time than he was sentenced to and that he, uh, you know, he served the the, the parole board. Let's put it this way. The parole board has said that he should be released. And he posed no threat and the other is you know the evidence that i found that um uh, that the bullets that he fired although he did fire bullets at my father the, those were not the ones that killed right. my dad. So, oh you know i believe in justice for whoever it is and i've worked you know i've been to ramallah i've been to the west bank i have friends in gaza i've met with the palestinian authority leadership I've met with Palestinians all over. In fact, one of my groups, the Jordan Riverkeeper, it was the only group in Israel that had Palestinians on its board, uh, Jordanians and Israeli Jews. Oh, you know, I understand the issues that affect the Palestinians. I want them to live lives of happiness, prosperity, dignity, and freedom and sovereignty. Um, I do not believe that that can happen as long as Hamas is in charge. And I believe Hamas is very much akin to the Nazi problem that until they are eradicated, that uh, Palestinians will not have a chance to live in the kind of prosperity that they deserve. And that over the long term, people have to understand that this was the fifth attack. So every, every previous attack was ended with a ceasefire. And every one of those ceasefires, I'm um, asked to rearm, to regroup, to rehoist its banner and then to attack Israel again. And- oh,
0: OK. All right, guys, let's take a moment and thank our sponsor for today's show, which is Survival Gear BSO pre-made bug out bags that offer easy grab and go options for families. They offer access to survival training and courses from the most qualified schools in the United States. They give you the ability to talk to certified instructors about gear questions to guide you in the right direction. And they're proud to say that survival gear BSO is an American owned and operated business tried and trusted product lines with over 800 products from top brands in the industry and they have custom orders from military corporate school and outdoor groups so find your way through the wilderness and visit survival gear bso today survivalgear.us That is the website, survivalgear.us, and make sure to use the promo code PROBLEM20. Once again, that's survivalgear.us, and the promo code is PROBLEM20 for 20% off your entire order. All right, let's get back into the show. Okay, well, let let me respond to to some of this because I I think that, look, the examples of Germany and Japan where, quite, quite frankly, what we did was indiscriminately slaughter their civilian population in World War II, the biggest bloodbath in human history. It is absolutely true that after that was done, we pulled them back into the the global world order, into the liberal world order. Um, and that – listen – Despite we could get out, we could spend three hours talking about World War II, but I will say, okay, that is quite an accomplishment. It's also the accomplishment that almost every hawk and every neocon looks to as an example for why this is going to work and why we can go overthrow this government, why we can go start a war here. I believe as we all know, and you yourself know as well as anyone, this was. Used over and over again for the justification of the war in Iraq, and of course, back then Saddam Hussein was Hitler, uh, Muammar Gaddafi was Hitler, Bashar al Assad was Hitler. I-, I gotta say, the comparison between, and, 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 hold on, and, well, let, me, hold on. Let, me just, let me just I finish have this owed first. all those wars. I have uh, yes, I, I know you did, which is why yeah. I'm so dumbfounded about your position on this one. To compare the Nazi problem to the Hamas problem, the Nazis ruled from france to poland they had almost all of europe taken over and were then going after england and russia hamas doesn't even rule gaza they're the toughest gang in an israeli prison so to to compare these two as if there there's any i i mean i just there there they're the anywhere near the same threat to the civilized world is just the, the comparison falls uh, immediately and and on top of that you know if you want to say that well we want the Palestinians to live these great lives and the reason they can't do that is because of Hamas well that certainly doesn't seem to be the reason in the West Bank and the the, the Palestinians have since 1967 lived under totalitarianism and it's just totally inexcusable. There's there's just no justification for it. Israel won a war in 1967. They what, I, I'm glad you admitted that the settlements are illegal under international law. It's also illegal under international law to gain territory through war. Israel gained the West Bank and Gaza through war. They have no absolutely no legal claim on these territories and, and no moral claim on these territories for that matter either. There, There's just there's nothing there. And they've held them since 1967. Now, yes, it is true that the resistance movements against them have taken some ugly forms and Hamas who, of course, as you also know well, has been supported and propped up by Israel throughout the years. Um, Yes, they've grown into a a very ugly terrorist group. And what they did on October 7th was horrible. But the obvious answer here is that we need to and certainly the um, an American president's perspective should be that we need to be encouraging the peace process here. I mean, you talk about we we have to eradicate Hamas. Okay, so U.S. officials as of right now, they estimate that about 20 percent of Hamas has been eradicated. Right now, 50% of the homes in Gaza have been destroyed. So what are we going to do? Destroy all of them? Do, do we honestly think I mean, this is it's its almost like you're doing insurgent math here, like General McChrystal warned against. So what do you think? We'll just destroy all of Gaza and then we won't have to deal with this Hamas problem anymore. Although what you've already seen right now from the Houthis, from Hezbollah, from Iran, from, from the, uh, everybody in this region, you're seeing. Oh, and of course, Shiite controlled Iraq. Thank you, George W. Bush. And uh, Shiite controlled Syria. Um, you know, the. You're only going to drum up more hatred. I think this is the worst move for the security of the Israeli people of any of the available options. Okay, so
1: all those arguments sound good. So let me deconstruct them. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Uh, First of all, I was not comparing uh, the Hamas, uh, the threat of Hamas as a global threat to the Nazis. That's not where they're similar. Where they're similar is that it's an ideology-driven conflict that's not territorial and has no negotiating position. It's a it's a it's a group that is committed to the genocide of all Jews, not only in Israel but all over the world, and that is uh, committed to the annihilation of Israel, and and that has in its covenant uh, the, a prohibition against. Against even negotiating with Israel, except as a ruse. So they, their covenant says that's a violation. It's a sin against Islamic law to even negotiate with Israel. So I, you know, I mean, the the big question I have, and I would have for you, but I, and I'll ask it at the end is. How, what is your path to peace? Is it, you know, the people who are are demanding a temporary, an unconditional ceasefire are leaving the hostages there. They're leaving, Hamas. Hamas is firing hundreds of missiles a day onto Tel Aviv. People say that Gaza is one of the most densely populated places in the world, that's not true. Tel Aviv has twice the population density and they're firing hundreds of missiles a day How is Israel supposed to stop that? they fired 30,000 missiles between 2006 and October 7th, and they've fired 10,500 since October 7th. What other nation in the world would put up with that, with a neighbor firing missiles onto their civilian population after declaring that they intend to annihilate the nation and to kill all of its citizens? Now, Um, You said that you made a statement that is absolutely incorrect, which is that you cannot claim that under international law. um, It's illegal to claim territory. And you want to acquire territory through war. war. If you are fighting a defensive war, it is absolutely legal. And there are I can name you 100 presidents. Take land that was used to launch a war against you and that is strategically important to your country. After Germany, after Germans attacked us, do you think we broke up Germany? Yes, we did. We removed the Sudan land. We gave it to Czechoslovakia. We broke up the entire Ottoman Empire, which was our, when we took all the 100% of their territory, and we gave it to people. We invented new, we Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hold World on, you're
0: talking, war, talking about
1: war, F- war, 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 before international fought. law. After World War One, we, we created 22 new nations after world war ii we created 122 yes but as you but so as, as you know sir- maps, uh, cutting up territory slicing and dicing and we did that because international law allows particularly when you're fighting a defensive war to claim strategic land that was used against you
0: okay let me, just, l- let me just let me just Okay. Uh, okay, let me just respond to a couple things there, because as you know, sir, if you're talking about World War One, well, this is before all of these international laws were put into effect, which were a, a response to World War Two. So that I is, is a little about b- after World War Two. Yes, I mean, yes, but I'm, I'm just saying, as far as the portion of World War One goes, there's that. But number two it, is your claim that the 1967 war was a defensive war, and therefore it's okay because look, 19- Menakem, 1967 war. Yes. Well then, I would say, yeah, the 1967 war was
1: a defensive war because Israel made clear, and the, and Egypt understood this. At closing the straits was an existential
0: threat to Israel. Okay. Uh, well, and- Menachem Begin himself said that it was a war of choice, and that we did not know for sure that the war was necessary. We chose to launch that war. Now he goes on to defend it, of course, because Menachem Begin is a yeah. Terrorist, And he's fine with that. And by the way, I don't say that as a pejorative term. The guy was literally a self-described terrorist who committed many acts of terrorism. Um, but I'm sorry, pre-creation of Agreed. Israel, not just the post-creation of Israel. Um, and he's the founder of the Likud party. Um, uh, but even like the, the hard most hardcore Zionists like uh, Ben Shapiro or Dennis Prager, all, they all refer to it as a preemptive war. Look, I don't even necessarily oh, yeah, care. It was, whether-
1: preemptive. it was preemptive because it, Egypt announced that it was going to close the straits. And, oh. and Israel knew that if they did that and they didn't attack Egypt's air force while it was still on the ground, that Israel would be destroyed. So they made a, a choice against an existential threat. Okay, okay. The so, way, so let's see it By the way, I, no, by the way, put this in context: of the forty-eight war. They mm-hmm. refused to sign it. All of these eight nations refused to sign a peace agreement after forty-eight war, recognizing Israel's existence. So that, that war essentially was continuing. And it continued again. There was another preemptive war by the Arabs alone, but, surprise war in 1973. But what's the other and, side and of that story? After each one of those wars, after each one, Israel offered to return all of the lands that it had taken in exchange for peace. And the Arabs refused consistently until 1978. And mm-hmm. Egypt finally, and Jordan said, Egypt first, and then Jordan four years later said, okay, we will trade land for peace. And they did it. But the Palestinians have never done that. Oh, well, okay, hold on. offered it again and again. They've been offered the pre-67 borders in 2001 by Ehud Barak and by Omar in 2008. They were ret- the return of all of their land in exchange for peace. And, and <sighs> Mah- Mahmoud Abbas refused to utter the words that Israel has a right to exist as a Jewish nation. He would not say those words. And in 2001, Yasser Arafat walked away from what, you know, Prince Bandar called heartbreaking concessions. And you, listen, you're it's shaking your true. head because you have a different view of history. But here, here's the thing, is if you read the article that Bassem I did this week in Newsweek, who was the leading human rights activist in the West Bank, his chronicle of history is identical to what I just told you. So, and he is an Arab Palestinian lover and activist. And, and, you know, you can say, well, I have a different, you know, history and you and I can go back on forth and forth on our, our different recountations of history for the next 10 hours. It's not going to get anywhere. So all I'd say to you is respect that my view of history is what I believe from extensive investigation that I believe is objective. I read both sides. Oh, sir, and sir, I but I'm sorry, but I—it's not. No, but it's not. No, but believe it's not. You believe that you're, you know, your recounting, your recounting of of those, you know, peace agreements and why they fell apart. I can show you chapter and verse about
0: that supports my position on it. And you uh, just uh, show me, you know, quotes from my Menachem Pagan that disagree. But this is like, but, but this is, but, but sir this is almost like if somebody was saying that um you know cuz as as we discussed last time we were on the podcast the whole history of the run up to this this war in ukraine and if somebody is just saying like no none of that's true nato never encroached on vladimir putin they were never talking about bringing ukraine into into nato it was just that vladimir putin wants to reconstruct the soviet union and they can say well i have my history and you have yours but i'm sorry there's like no this there's right. an objective isn't reality why, to why this why well, well let me just history. i'm happy well, to well, sit here well, well, look, I'll just go through a little bit and, and just very quickly to some of the stuff that you just said right there, right? So there is obviously I, – I, and I don't know why I, I see this a lot. Look, I'm not against giving the pro-Israeli side of this also, um, but it just seems like we're com- – whenever I hear you talk about this, you're ignoring the whole other half of it. Like just talking about how in 1948, these other Arab nations wouldn't agree to recognize Israel. It's like, yeah, but why is that? Like what happened throughout 1947 and 1948? Look, the UN partition, the General Assembly in the United Nations had no authority to create nations. They put a recommendation, a partition recommendation where that gave the the Zionists 56% of the land and the Palestinians 44% of the land. and this was by no argument fair. There is nobody who could possibly argue that either the Jewish population or the Jewish percentage of land owned justified them getting 56% of the, the land. But the Jews immediately started violently evicting Palestinians out of their side of the, uh, of the partition. And okay, where in 1948, when the other Arab nations finally invaded, almost none of the fighting was done on the Jewish side of the partition. It was almost all done on the Palestinian side of that partition because the Zionists had already moved well beyond what the UN gave them. And then after that, they took about 78% of the land, and then after 67, they essentially took the rest. Now, your point about Camp David, Camp David 1, that is. When you're talking about Camp David in the late 1970s, I understand this is what all and believe me, I'm Jewish, I've grown up around this. I'm so well versed in the pro-Israel uh, point of view here. But it's funny that people always go, look, Israel was happy to give land for peace. And okay, that's one way to look at it. Another way to look at it is that they got peace. They've had peace with Egypt and Jordan ever since. And so now, now to your, your later point about the idea that the Palestinians have had all of these offers and they always turn it down. I, I know it makes for a great slogan, but, you know, they never miss an opportunity to miss an opportunity, or we have no partner for peace, or a people without land, or a land without people. The problem is all of these slogans are lies. They're not true. And I would highly recommend uh, to everybody listening and to you, sir, personally, because I know you are a reader and you actually know this stuff, read Clayton Swisher's book, the truth about Camp David. This guy went around and spent three years interviewing everyone. Everyone who was a part of those negotiations and the official story that Arafat just walked away and he had such a good offer, but he wouldn't take it is not true. And all of the players involved admit this. All right, guys, let's take a moment and thank our sponsor for today's show, which is Sheath Underwear, the underwear of legends. And as one of those legends, I'd love to tell you about Sheath Underwear, which is by far the most comfortable underwear I've ever owned in my life. The best pair of boxer briefs that you will ever put on your body. You will get them at sheathunderwear.com. Sheath underwear has been a loyal sponsor of this show for over three years. And I got to tell you, they sent me a couple pairs of underwear when they first signed up over three years ago. I still own them. I still wear them all the time, and they're as comfortable as they were three years ago. This is high-quality boxer briefs. you got to check them out. And I'll tell you, uh, a lot of independent voices like mine need sponsors, and one of the loyal sponsors of this show has been Sheath Underwear. So if you love what we do on this show, go support our sponsor, our loyal sponsor, SheathUnderwear.com, and in the process, get the most Comfortable pair of boxer briefs you're ever going to own in your entire life. Go check them out, sheathunderwear.com. The promo code is problem20. That will get you 20% off your next order. One more time, sheathunderwear.com, promo code problem20 for 20% off your next order. All right, let's get back into the show. Look, Shlomo Benami. The Israeli foreign minister during the negotiations said, if I was a Palestinian, I never would have taken the deal we were offering them. That's him. That's their official side of the story. And Yasser Arafat requested another summit and a series of summits afterward, and both the Americans and the Israelis denied them. I mean, look, listen, this is Bill Clinton we're talking about, right? This isn't like, you know, some perfect angel. And, and, and all that stuff that we've agreed on with NATO expansion in Europe and how wrong Bill Clinton was for all of that, he also got this one wrong. So I'm not saying you have to like completely, you know – Reinvent who you define yourself as, but it's just simply that, look, I, believe me, I'm Jewish. I wish the Israeli side of this was just as true as it is, so I could just take that position and I wouldn't have to have all the personal heartaches that I have. The same way, everything you've gone through with the positions you've taken that have been very difficult personally and like within family, believe me, that's where I am with this position between Israel and Palestine. But the reality is that even if you were right. Even if you were right and they offered him everything, even though that doesn't sound right, that they offered him everything and they kept turning it down. That offer, it's not Israel's to give. What, What right does Israel have to decide whether the Palestinians get their own state or not? It's not their decision to make. They have no claim on this land. The partition plan gave them 56% of the land. They, they fought a war and they took 80% of the land. And then in 67, they took 100% of it. There is no argument, legal or moral, that Gaza or the West Bank belong to Israel. They shouldn't have to offer them a state of their own. They have no right to deny them one.
1: Okay, let me just ask you before I, I respond to that, let me sure. ask you something. Would, would you be okay um if uh, if uh, if Israel didn't exist
0: as no. a Jewish state well I, I mean I don't know exactly know what what you mean by that like what I mean, do you like-
1: if 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 if, if, the, if Hamas overran Israel which it says it wants to do and returned it to Palestinian control is that an outcome that would be acceptable to you? No. And I and specifically what would happen think, to the well, Jewish people then. Do you think Israel has a right to exist as a Jewish state?
0: Yes. Okay.
1: So, I, I well, look I I, I mean, want to clarify that. Sure, and would sure. you consider well, it would you consider it a very, very bad outcome if Israel has ceased to exist as a Jewish state?
0: Well, hold on. But the the problem – the reason why it's tough to answer that question is because let's say that they decided we're going to make all of – like a one-state solution. It's not a Jewish state anymore, but it was, say, a limited constitutional republic where everyone's rights are protected. That I wouldn't have a problem with. So if if it just didn't call itself a Jewish state anymore, that I don't really care about. If you're saying if all of the people of Israel were either murdered or forced to leave, yes, of course I'd have a problem with that. In the same way that – I. I can recognize but, what but, but you
1: uh, I mean, are you do you support the existence of Israel
0: as a Jewish state? Um, I think that I'm. that's fine. I, I think that it's worth recognizing in the same way that we would probably recognize that it was not legitimate or just or moral what we did to the Native Americans to create our country. However, it happened. It's many generations ago. People have built a life there for themselves, and we're not about to give the, the land back to the Native Americans, but we should make damn sure that any native americans that are still here have their natural rights protected so that's all i'm saying i'm not saying we're not going back to
1: aren't, aren't jews actually the indigenous people of of uh, of palestine now I, I think that's right they, they were there 2700 years continuously <laughs> yeah but no they're, I, I'm they're sorry. prototypical indigenous people i listen i've represented american indians 35 years in treaty negotiations and litigation to restore their rights to, um, to traditional lands. And I would say that the Jews are the prototypical indigenous group. They've occupied the same land for 2,700 years, the same language, the same religion, the
0: same culture, the same customs, don't they have a right to a Jewish state? First of all, that's not true. The Hebrew was not Hebrew was not spoken by any of the original Zionists. They retaught themselves Hebrew because they wanted to go back. These were European settlers. And no, the idea that you can just go back to Ireland tomorrow, Bobby, and kick someone out of their home and say, hey, I'm the true Irishman who is here before all of you. It's ridiculous to say you have some 2000 year old supernatural that's natural that's property. That's right. right you believe palestinians should be able to walk across the border and reclaim their land i never said that i never said that i said they get their land gaza and the west bank is theirs i'm not saying they can go back and reclaim tel aviv i'm saying that gaza and the west bank is theirs
1: okay i I just want to know where we disagree i think we agree on a lot i mean i listen david i think you and i agree on principles that the, the, the issues here are you know are really these clashing for narratives of history, and what I would say to you, you know, and I've looked at this as an attorney, like I look at everything, I break it down into facts, and so let me let me say a couple of things in response. First of all, the the, the birth certificate for Israel is as good as any nation in the world. It, it, you know, the, the pedigree, it was, it was voted on by the United, by the League of Nations. It, first of all, nobody, it, you know, the Ottoman Empire lost a war. When you lose a war, there are consequences. The Ottoman Empire ceased to exist. The, the Balfour Decor- Declaration and the League of Nations said, okay, here's what we should do with the Ottoman Empire. We should give it to its indigenous people to rule, carve it up and give each indigenous group their own land to rule. So then the empire is no longer ruling it. Britain was given the Palestinian mandate to partition. Now there are two races in Palestine, and one of them is Jewish and one of them is Arab. There's actually Christians too, and the Christians were given their own country, which is Lebanon. So that was carved out, and oh, you know of. Uh, of the you know of the Ottoman mandate, Lebanon was given out given to Christians. Jordan, which was four-fifths of Palestine, four-fifths was given to the Palestinians and the Hashemites as a Islamic state, as a officially Muslim state. Israel was created from a tiny tiny sliver as a officially Jewish state. Israel, by the way, there are 27 states in the region that all have official religions. There's 41 countries in the world that have official religions. There are Bo- Muslim countries, there are Buddhist countries, there are Hindu countries, there are Christian countries officially, and those countries all have rules that are that diminish the rights of minority religions. Israel is one of 28 nations in the Middle east 27 of those nations have an official religion israel is the only country that doesn't
0: yeah israel's a western israel country and you're talking about third world of israel countries israel sure but
1: freedom of religion now
0: but these just seem like it, talking points it, i'm not i'm not arguing is, any of that
1: well, well no because you're saying the 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 state of israel you're questioning
0: its existence and nobody does no, that no no bobby state i feel like listen i feel like you're prepared to argue with somebody else and this is not what i'm saying what i'm saying oh, you can you say- did,
1: no you dragged us into this david come on no i that. didn't say i don't say i don't have an issue with no, them you being you made this you made this foundational assertion which is that israel's birth was illegitimate
0: no, and, and no, that's not what I said. What I said was that Israel's birth involved forcibly kicking people out of their homes well, so by Pakistan. the hundreds of thousands. That's not, that's but, not, but, 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 it's, but a, David, it's a historical but, fact. But, hey David, Pakistan was born the same year. Yes. I grant, I grant you, I'm not even making that. Okay, fine. Four
1: million people moved from Pakistan, four million people that moved from India
0: Oh, you know, and that Greece and Turkey, the same thing happened. Czechoslovakia. So it's the way of the world. It's horrible, but it's the way of the world. But listen. And and by the way,
1: in in November of this year, 176,000 Afghans were expelled from from Pakistan. Nobody didn't make a ripple. They were legally there. And they were just suddenly expelled. That's horrible, but I'm not defending that. In September um, Azerbaijan emptied the Armenian state of Artsakh to 120,000 people. No, not a ripple in the nose. The only time people, you know, and by the way, during 1948, when 750,000 people left, Palestinians left Israel, why did they leave?
0: It well, left many me. of them because they were many of them left because they were uh, they had their villages ransacked and people were slaughtered and they were forced marched out. And then many others left because they had heard the rumors of what was going on in these other villages. And then some of them left just because a war was breaking out and they wanted to flee and return to their homes later. But do you deny that there was huge numbers of them who were violently evicted?
1: I think a small number of them were. A small
0: in. okay.
1: Let me, let me just, let me give you my, let, let me give you my reasoning for that, okay? There were, there, there are no, there are no recordings, there's no good historical record of any systematic um, effort by Israeli officials to expel
0: Arabs from their land. Oh, yeah, but there's records of all, police, of all of the Jewish yeah. militias doing it. But this is this like is a Benny Johnson cop out. There's no official like directed. By the way, David. this is also what Holocaust deniers say about the Holocaust. David. You can't find the official David. order. All right, David, sorry, let me, Go man, ahead. let me finish. Sure. There were um,
1: there were certain villages like Lodz, which were emptied by Haganah, which is as you point out a paramilitary group. Most of the best histor- historical records indicate that most of the Arabs left Israel because they were told to by the Arab League nations. Now, because the Arab League nations, which were, were invited by the Palestinians to come in, invade, and kill all the Jews, wanted to, to get the Arabs out of so they could yeah. commit a genocide. Now, look, this is a quote from... The uh, foreign minister at that time, Khalid al-Azam of Syria, who was part of those nations, since 1948, he says, We have been demanding the return of the refugees. While it is we who made them leave, we brought destruction upon a million Arab refugees by calling on them, pleading with them to leave their lands. We ordered their departure. We have accustomed them now to begging. We have participated in lowering their moral and social level. Then we exploited them in executing crimes, murder, arson, throwing bombs upon men, women, and children, all this in service to political purpose. This is Mahmoud Abbas, okay, who is the current prime minister of the Palestinian Authority. He accused the Arab armies of having abandoned the Palestinians after they, quote, forced them to immigrate. To leave their homeland and and to throw them into prisons and slums to which, in which, similar to those in which the Jews used to live. I can show you hundreds of Arab newspapers ordering the people of Palestine to leave so that the Jews could be exterminated. Now, many Palestinians did not. The ones that did not became citizens of Israel. Mm -hmm. The ones who left are not citizens of Israel. There are Arab countries around Israel that provoke them to leave, which are 600 times the area of Israel. At the same time, those eight Arab nations expelled a million Jews, a million. Mm-hmm. Right? They ethically cleansed their populations. And that's horrible, right? Those Jews were taken in and by that's wrong. to this tiny little nation. Israel took them all in. Yeah, of course, because they want their the Jewish Arab supermajority. The Arab nations who are dealing with their refugee crisis of their creating refused to take in the Palestinians. So why are we blaming Israel?
0: Well, I don't know. It seems like, and I don't exactly get this, it seems like you're quite comfortable to say it's horrible when Jews were expelled from Arab nations, but somehow it's not horrible when Jews expel the Arabs. And you can say it's well, all because heard- other Arabs. Hey, David, uh, listen, bad things happen in war.
1: Everything's hard. Yeah, but why is it always an
0: excuse? Why isn't it always an excuse? Fine, bad things happen in war. Why do we have to support it? Why does America have to pay for it? You already said that. Can I get one presidential candidate who doesn't want to support a foreign war? Can I get one presidential candidate who will say six months without war?
1: David, you already said that you don't believe that those Palestinians or their offspring. Have a right to return. You just said that to me. So I no, think I didn't say I, I didn't
0: say that. I think oh. I it, it would be nice if if some of them were allowed to, but I don't think that's really what the battle's over. I think what the battle is over is the occupation since 1967, the blockade of Gaza since 2006, And I think what the what the battle is really over right now is what Israel is doing to Gaza, absolutely leveling the place and all the while bragging about how they want to um um. Okay, I don't know. They want to move the population Well, Netanyahu is going. And, and I know you can say you're a critic of Netanyahu, but you support Israel. But at the same time, it's like the guy is the longest serving prime minister and the current prime minister of the country. So if you're supporting the country, you kind of are supporting, at least to some degree, what he's doing right now. And it is unconscionable. It, it is the, the worst humanitarian catastrophe in the world right now. And the idea that you, who are supposed to be the anti-neocon, anti-war presidential candidate, are immediately on october 7th before we even had an investigation before we even knew what happened there you immediately say what basically you said everything they say about ukraine you said it was an unprovoked attack which like come on give me a break an attack from gaza against israel is unprovoked and then you said we have to support them in whatever it takes well look sir we're watching it right now this is whatever it takes just women and children dying under rubble every day. You can't go on social media without seeing another video of some baby dying. This is what we're supposed. After the last twenty years of disastrous wars, we gotta support the next one. I mean, sir, this is uh, this is like a biblical level of evil. And and why why should we as Americans have to fund this? Why should we have to give them a blank check? I'm sorry, all it's right. been I mean, long enough. A lot of different issues, and can I now respond? Sure, yeah, sure.
1: Okay, first of all, the idea that Israel created the deprivation in Gaza is is nonsense. Israel left Gaza in 2006. It doesn't occupy Gaza. There is no occupation. It left them and said, you know, and it removed all the settlers. Oh, when Israel, you know, wants to make peace, it has shown its willingness to m- remove all the settlers. It even removed the graves of Jews who were there. So there's no Jews left in Gaza. It removed all the IDF from Gaza, and it said, and it gave Gaza, and not only that, it gave and it put to them on the border. Made, uh, let, let me just finish. Sure, it, Israel, um, uh, offered to uh, to rebuild for free. The port of Gaza to make it the Singapore of the West. So Gaza should be one of the richest nations in the in the Mediterranean. It has miles of white sand beaches. It is, it's not a desert, it's an oasis. That's why the Philistines, who were from Greece, colonized it. Because it was it had rich agricultural lands. The Israelis had, had built a very, very extensive irrigation system to irrigate that land. They had put out of business, all the illegal wells that were threatening the um, the, the the water table with saltwater infiltration, and they built four thousand hothouses, state-of-the-art hothouses, and then donated them to the people of Gaza when they left, as a gift to make Gaza completely food self-sufficient. Uh, they then the international aid community then poured in. An unprecedented tsunami of cash to the people of Gaza. Oh, the, after World War II, we rebuilt Germany. We rebuilt all of the 17 nations of Europe with the Marshall Plan. We gave the people of Europe forty-eight dollars per capita apiece. That's about six hundred and twenty-three dollars in twenty twenty-three dollars. We've given to Gaza the international aid community 8,600, so 13 times what we what we spent to rebuild Europe. And what's happened? Gaza, as you say, is an open air prison. It was 47% unemployment. Why is that? Is that the fault of Israel? No, it's the of fault of know. Hamas, which has taken that money, stolen it, or its its leaders, Ismail Hainia, who is the head of Hamas is, according to Forbes, has a net worth of $5 billion. Yasser Arafat died a billionaire. His wife gets a $22 million uh, uh, annual subsidy from the Palestinian Authority. Mahmoud Abbas, the current head of the Palestinian Authority is a billionaire. His sons have $750 million. The top three guys at, at Hamas have a collective net worth of $11 billion. So this is a kleptocracy. They're stealing from their people, and then the rest of that money, instead of building an economy, an agricultural system, making it a a, a center for commerce, for peace, for prosperity for their people, instead they've used that money to build an underground city, 300 miles of tunnels to bring in in, uh, 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 weapons, rockets, etc. cetera. They, they have torn up the irrigation system that made it agriculturally so, completely self-sufficient. They tore up hundreds of miles of pipes and used those pipes to make rockets with. They ended the regulation of the wells so that now anybody can build a well, and the, it has poisoned all the agricultural lands of Gaza with salt water. So this is what Hamas has done to it, her people. Okay, but I, I mean, look, I say they need to be eliminated, okay. and then they raise each generation. The, the question is, nobody, with The biggest, point, finish. Uh, with the uh, biggest uh, aspiration that they can have to kill a Jew, to strap on, they make kiddie suicide fences. They, they indoctrinate them from kindergarten. This is a, you know, and, and Israel did not put up the barriers until they started, there was an open border there for many, many years, throughout the 70s. Israel only put up the wall when commandos started coming over and butchering Israelis. What so other you're are You're talking about
0: there? back when, back when the IDF was occupying Gaza. You're saying they didn't have the wall up yet? Uh, okay. The the asymmetry well, but, here. Yeah, oh, oh, but But hold on. You're David, talking.
1: Oh, no, because you're blaming that Israel for creating an open air prison, and that's baloney. It is total baloney. Yes. <laughs> okay, well, listen. There's, there's an
0: asymmetry here because you're talking to me about how bad Hamas is. And, like, yes, I agree. Hamas is a very bad organization. But I'm also not standing here arguing that Hamas is doing a great job and that we, America, better fund Hamas no, in you're some aggression. The yes. Hold you on. Made an assertion. No, no, I'm no. I'll, you, I'll, I'll, I'll go back to this. It's not. But let's just agree. It's that not that an assertion. It is not true. No. What assertion have I made that's not true? You Listen. Said Israel turned Gaza into an open air prison. No, I'm not saying they turn yes, it is. And look, the the reason why international well, human why, why don't you blame Egypt? Egypt has it border with if it no- I do. I what? blame Egypt too. No, sure. I've never heard you I've never heard you blame Egypt. All right, well you, you, just, heard you just heard me. You just heard me right here. Okay. Well, you just heard me. That, that's fine that you've never heard me. I've been highly critical of uh, Egypt, and I think we should cut off foreign aid to them as well. But the fact is that I am not sitting here arguing that we ought to support Hamas financially in their aggressive war towards the people of Israel. But you are arguing that we ought to financially support Israel in their war against the people of Gaza. So, the yes, the reason why international human rights uh, uh, groups like uh, Human Rights Watch, like Amnesty International, said that the occupation never ended in 2005, is because, as um, uh, uh, um, as Sheldon Richmond put it, essentially they had all of the prison guards leave the prison and surround the prison and then they went look we freed all the people surround, in the prison they surround, david they can't surround the prison they don't own on the land around the okay prison. so nine tenths so nine tenths of the you prison sorry tenth, my, they my mistake they control nine tenths of the borders I, around I, it they control the sea space. They control the, one one... space they control <laughs> the airspace. they control the water they control the electricity they intro they control all of the telecommunications i mean like but i just don't understand well, why AJ, you
1: david. Here, here, let's go through each one of those. Why does, it, why does Israel control the water? They control the water because there's plenty of water in Gaza, and they have diesel plants all over Gaza. Mm-hmm. So they got plenty of water. Why does Israel uh, uh, control the water? It doesn't control the water. It has 9% of the
0: water, which it gives as a gift. Right. So oh, hold on, hold on. Gift Bobby, Bobby very quickly, because I don't want to go too long here. If they don't control the water, how was it on October 8th they turned the water off? They turned their part of the water off. Hamas
1: turned most 90 percent of the water off. Yeah, oh, they can't not turn right. the water off, David. The water is locally manufactured in desal plants. Israel has no control over there. Hamas turned them off because Hamas didn't, Hamas wanted to use the fuel they have million liters of fuel that they have in their tunnels to send rockets onto Israel rather than power their diesel plant wow. and give water to their people. They did the same thing. They hoarded the food. They stopped their people from getting international aid. Israel was making that aid available to them, and they refused to give it to them. Israel just said, we're not going to send it to the parts where we're at fighting, and no nation in the world would do that, David. And has, have you ever heard of a country and while they are fighting and there's rockets being fired over their head at their own people, they would go in and feed the warriors who are fighting against them. Who would do that?
0: I, like, I don't know, but, you know, I've never I haven't heard of a Western country in modern times who's occupied territory since 1967 either. I mean, I don't know. What is the I, example hey, that David, is that? David, so, yes, rockets got fired back at you hey, from David, that area.
1: Hey, David. Like OK, okay let's look at this history. In 1948, Israel won Gaza. They occupied it, and what did they do? At the end of the war, they gave it back to Egypt.
0: Give it to Egypt, yeah.
1: Then they, then they, and, and Egypt used Gaza to to attack Israel with. So they were sending you know mujahideen over from Gaza hmm. to make attack commando attacks on Israel. Oh, Israel took Gaza again, they had a right under international law because it was used strategically against them to annex it. Did they? No. They said, we don't want it. They tried to give it back to Egypt. Then in 1973, Egypt, they, they signed the Camp David Accords, and Egypt and Israel again said, you can have Gaza, we'll give it to you. And Egypt said, no, we'll take the Sinai, we, won't, we don't want Gaza, it's your problem. Again and again, Israel has tried to return Gaza. And then 2005, it said, we don't, we're going to walk out. We're going to give them the keys. We don't want it. Then what did they do? Gaza, Hamas, fires 30,000 missiles, 2,000 missiles a, a year onto civilian targets in Egypt. There's a million Israeli families who, with, whose children were raised in bomb shelters with nobody, you know, nobody, Nobody in the international community saying, oh, you know, these poor kids who have PTSD, nobody talked about that. Oh, Israel did something no country in the world has ever done. If any other country, if, if Egypt declared or if Mexico declared war on us, if the Mexican government took control of Mexico, reclaimed Texas, and then fired rockets onto San Antonio and Houston. How long, how many would they have to fire before we went in there and removed them? Uh, Maybe two. They they absorbed 2,000 a year. And what did the Israelis do? Because they didn't want to go into Gaza. They spent hundreds of billions of dollars, and this is where our money goes, building the Iron Dome. Every Gaza rocket that comes across costs Hamas $800 to manufacture and fire Israel pays forty thousand dollars to shoot them down and Israel bore that enormous cost because it did not want to go into Gaza. Oh it you know to say that Israel's been you know hatching these ulterior plans to go into Gaza
0: is just completely contradictory. But why is it why is it, sir, when you're retelling this history, which I don't even have a problem with a lot of the stuff that you're saying? It is true that they they fire these rockets in, into Israel. But why is it that you never mention that during this time also Israel has been regularly mowing the the grass? Israel has been regularly launching oh, bombing campaigns oh, against Gaza oh, is, is it, no, you, because you paint this picture oh, as I, if I, it's, let me let me, sure. let me just talk a little bit here too because i'm listening to you but you okay. paint this picture as if there's israel sitting here and they're being bombarded by these palestinians when in reality palestinians have been dying 10 to 1 at least compared to the israelis it's the israelis have also been going on massive bombing campaigns i mean look you had protests, hey, on you on had protests of, in 2018 i'm, on the palestinians.
1: I'm against Hamas. And I'm oh, okay. firing the rockets and All Israel right. has gone in. When too many rockets are coming over and they become intolerable, Israel goes in and, and removes them. And that's what's called mowing the grass. What other nation, David? No, that's not, just, just no. tell me one nation in the world, one nation that would not do that. One nation. That I would, would absorb two thousand rockets a year from an enemy. Yes.
0: Okay. Again, sir. But again, so tell me, what nation or what group of people would stand being occupied since nineteen seven? You're not occupied, and, David. Okay. Is the West occupied. Bank occupied? Is the West Bank
1: occupied? Yeah, the West Bank, and you know why the West Bank is occupied.
0: It's also justified, right? It's no, also-
1: no. The West Bank is not occupied to protect Israel. Israel, the West Bank is occupied to protect the Palestinian Authority, because if the Israelis left the West Bank, Mahmoud Abbas would be overthrown overnight. And who would be in charge of with the West Bank? Hamas. Is yeah, that, well, but,
0: is well, that sure. you, an acceptable outcome? No, but I, I don't think the status quo is an acceptable outcome. Okay, either. But then that's why. OK, I think we both agree now. neither
1: of them are acceptable outcomes. So how do we get to an acceptable outcome? That's what I think you and I can agree on. How well, to, it's sure we not, there? it's
0: sure not, it's sure not this war that you're supporting, sir. Well, this sure I, ain't the way. This is the road is. to disaster. Okay, let's
1: talk about that, David. What are so, your ideas for how you get the hostages back?
0: Okay. Well, I think how first stop off, if your goal rocks. if your goal is getting the hostages the hostages back, my God, Israel has destroyed 50% or something, 60% of the residential buildings there. It's quite possible that the hostages have been killed. Killed already by this war. So if you wanted to get the hostages back, what you should have done is start negotiating. That would have been the plan. And in fact, they did get some of the hostages back by negotiating. They've gotten none of them back by and dropping what, these bombs, and, and they've likely think? killed a whole bunch of them. That's the but, truth.
1: What, what do you think the neg- what, what does Hamas want? Hamas has said what it wants is, you know, the end of Israel.
0: Well, that, I mean, at different times, they've said that at certain points. They've also said that they would accept 1967 borders. So it would have been great if Israel had taken them up on that when they said it. Um, okay, listen, let me just Let me ask you, me ask you in this 2008 and 2001. And they refused. All right, guys, let's take a moment and thank our sponsor for today's show, which is Z Biotics. Z Biotics pre-alcohol probiotic is the world's first genetically engineered probiotic. It was invented by PhD scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking. So here's how it works. When you drink, alcohol gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut. It's this byproduct and not dehydration that's to blame for your rough next morning. Zbiotics produces an enzyme to break this byproduct down. It's designed to, it's designed to work like your liver but in your gut where you need it most. Just remember to drink Z-Biotics before drinking alcohol, drink responsibly, and get a good night's sleep to feel your best tomorrow. Give Z-Biotics a try for yourself. Go to zbiotics.com P-O-T-P. That will get you 15% off your first order when you use the code P-O-T-P at checkout. Zbiotics is backed with a 100% money-back guarantee, so if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked remember to head to zbiotics.com slash potp and use the promo code potp at checkout for 15 percent off and thanks to zbiotics for supporting this episode all right let's get back into the show do you sir do you have I, i don't agree with that but okay do you have concerns about um the the level of israeli influence in our our politics here in the united states of america I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. Uh,
1: I just, I'm not, you know, I'm not a politician in political office, so I don't see much of that. So you don't but, think like, so, so in after uh, you know, 9-11. I mean, listen, I think, uh, listen, I think everybody has, um, you know, that, that, that there's so many malevolent influences on Capitol Hill. And they include many nations and they include many, you know, corporate entities. Oh, and I, you know, I want to have a real democracy in our country where you get money out of politics and the influence out of politics. That's what I would like and have publicly funded elections. Oh, I don't think anybody, but do I think the Israelis have more influence than others? I, I, David, I believe uh, in the, you know, in supporting Israel, that it's important for the United States. And you and I can disagree on that. I believe, and I believe our aid to Israel at $4 billion a
0: year is designed to keep the peace of it. Sir, you've been such a critic and such an effective critic. You've been been such an effective critic of the neoconservatives.
1: I I am a critic of the neoconservatives.
0: Yes, I know. That's what I just said. But you know that the, these two issues are so, like, intertwined. And I know you know that, because I know you know this stuff. But look, uh, well, the, wait, the report— I mean, David, again, uh, I, would, you know, I, I would vote for World War II,
1: right? I would not vote for any other war. The neocons vote for every war. You're I, voting for I this war. i the opposition to the Afghan war, to the Iraq war. To Panama, oh, okay, to fine, but listen, I was Okay, fine, but this is all I'm on saying. On, the Vietnam, so I, you know, all okay. wars. Well. But I'm just saying, I don't want to live in a world where it, I think it would be bad for our country. It would be bad for the world to eliminate the only democracy in the Middle East. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, there. You
0: know. They're not really a democracy if you include the West Bank in there, are they? I mean, you can say they're not occupying.
1: Israel wants to give the West Bank okay. back. All they're asking for is a recognition which no Palestinian okay. official has ever Fine. made.
0: Fine, a Let recognition me
1: just... that Israel has a right to exist as a Jewish state. That's all they wanted.
0: Okay. Well, you want. add in a Jewish state. Yasser Arafat recognized the right to exist under 1967. Not as a but... Jewish state. Oh, oh now it has to be said as a Jewish state too. Okay, fine. Of we'll just course. okay, fine. Uh, okay. Um, so <laughs> I mean what, if I, we I recognize about the, if you want to sure. say the danger of Israel not existing, I think actually the current course, which you've pledged to support as president, is probably the biggest risk to Israel not existing. Let, but the point, before, I, the point I was making before, the point I was making before, let again. me just finish let me just finish my point and then I'll give you the last word. Okay. okay. The point I was making before is that look. Uh um it, you talk about being a sharp critic of these neoconservatives. And if you go read the the letter A Clean Break, which was written by uh Richard Pearl and uh David wormser okay, and this is what outlined in 1996 the desire to fight the war in Iraq. And you know who that was written to, right? It wasn't written about yeah, Clinton. It, in... it was a PNAC right. document. Well, no, I'm but specifically a clean break was written to Benjamin Netanyahu. This is they're very much all involved. And look, sir. But why at, are you trying to connect me to Benjamin and I'm not don't trying, don't trying like to connect to get, you? I don't because like he's the cons. Because he's I the prime like minister of the country who you're pledging to fund their war. So, of course, I have to bring up who he is. I'm saying Benjamin Netanyahu, the man who you are saying, who you said as president, you will support his war until the end. Give him everything they need. He has been, since the 1990s, lying to the American people, saying Iran is five years away from developing a nuclear weapon. Do you not have any misgivings about supporting someone in a foreign government who is lying the American people? American people into a war which he wants us to fight, not them. It's not Israel who's going to be fighting a war with Iran. It's the young men in our country. Okay, let me let me just
1: before we um, before we end, let me clarify okay. a couple of things. One is, I don't like Benjamin Netanyahu. I don't like the neocons. I don't want to be lumped in with them. On I, 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 there's eighty percent of the Israeli public is now against Netanyahu, but 90% of them support the action in, uh, in Gaza as necessary to eliminate Hamas. Now, do I think that the action in Gaza could end up in the destruction of Israel lead to a chain of events that ended up in the destruction of Israel? Do I worry about that? Yes. Do I worry that it could end up in a chain of events I could walk the world into World War III. Yes, I absolutely believe that. Do I believe that it is a good choice? No. Do I believe that it is the best option available? Yes, because I don't. I think that kicking this down the road again, because the the the, the now the the demonstration of, sh- of strength that Hamas showed on October seventh where, you know, 3,000 air, sea, land with rockets, backpack, missile systems, and the equipment that they're now receiving from Iran and North Korea makes them an existential threat to Israel. And when they come back the next time, that you know, they're perfectly willing to have a ceasefire, of course. And they'll use that to rearm. They're going to increase their prestige around the world because, you know, the world admires them for that October 7th attack. What? And if you ask me, what I would have done as president is not what would have happened now. What I would have done is I would have, first of all, I'd end the, the Ukraine war so that we can talk directly to Putin. I'd bring Xi in, i bring Putin in, i bring Sisi in from Egypt, I'd bring Erdogan in from Turkey. And I'd say this war is not in any of our interests. The Chinese and the Russians don't want to, you know, they don't want fundamentalist Islam conquering the Middle East and controlling the oil fields. They don't want that ultimately. We have a community of interest. If the Security Council the day after October 7th, on October 8th, had condemned Hamas and had demanded the prosecution of their leadership for war crimes, and if... If we then had pressured Qatar to arrest Ismail Hainea and Erdogan to arrest the leaders that are hiding in Ankara and brought them up to the world court, then I think we'd be in a different world. What we did instead is we isolated Israel and we left them alone to solve the problem. And the only option they have, Dave, for solving this problem is very limited uh, military option. And it would be my job as president to make sure this never happened, make sure that they had other options rather than the military. But we yeah. don't have anybody in the White House today who who, you know, who understands even how to begin that process. We're still living in a bipolar world where, you know, the America is superpower, everybody's got to do what we say. And they will not go and reach out to other leaders and say, let's convene and solve this problem together in ways where we can find common ground with each other. And I think that that is necessary now and that, you know, it it is tragic where we are. But I don't. And the reason I posted that post on October 7th, because I knew what was going to happen. I knew the world was going to turn against Israel immediately. And that you know, and that even the Biden administration would, and that Israel needed somebody so that it in the world so it does not feel isolated, so it feels there's other options other than military options. I believe that our military aid to Israel actually advances the cause of peace. It allows them to maintain the Iron Dome, which which gives them the option of not going to war. We were able to use our military. Uh, donations to them, which, by the way, are no donations. As you know, they come back here. hundred percent of it comes back here to U.S. weapons manufacturers. But oh, great! I'm not saying that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, wonderful. No, don't, 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 I'm just saying that, that, that that's what it is. And the um, but we were able to leverage that aid to Israel to stop them from going into Lebanon after Hezbollah to, to stop Netanyahu from doing that and I think that's a good use of that power. Agreed. I think that they you know U.S. now look I want to withdraw there's 800 bases abroad I want to withdraw from from 90 percent of them but the last ones that I would leave are that you know what I've always said that my job as president is going to be arm America to the teeth around its borders so make ourselves too expensive to ever invade um and and uh, to but to protect neutral areas, have enough strike force to protect neutral areas like the Antarctic, and to protect the sea lanes, and to have strike force for really bad behavior in two theaters at the same time, and that's what, and that'll bring us down to military expenditure of uh, less than five hundred billion a year. We can do that. But I would not immediately withdraw from America's traditional role of protecting the open sea lanes. I don't think that that's a good idea for our country, and particularly to do it suddenly. I think we can feel our way through that, but it has to be done with the cooperation, with an orderly transition. I'll tell you something, because, you know, you and I often quote John Quincy Adams, uh, his, his urging that we go not abroad in search of monsters to destroy so all of the framers believed in that that America would be destroyed by getting in military entanglements abroad. And but you know when the Barbary pirates started attacking American shipping Jefferson who was the most adamant of all the framers against the US Navy um you know, send an emissary over there to say, why are you doing this? We are an you know, anti-colonial nation. We've, we're in the same position as you are. And, and, the, uh, and the, uh, the prince told him, we don't care. We're just going to take all your shipping for because we want the money. Jefferson then authorized the creation of a navy, and we went o- over there. The Marines went over there and bombarded Tripoli, and there was never a capture of an American ship again. And that set the president of American foreign policy. That you know, a a, a the key the U.S. foreign policy, the fulcrum of U.S. foreign policy would be keeping open the sea lanes. And I, you know, I would not walk away casually or without considering every aspect of what would happen if we walked away from that obligation. No, okay, Israel, is on the shipping is, is, is a key is that international objective of keeping open the sea lanes particularly the Suez
0: Canal. and slide. I'm not listen, I'm not going to argue with you about keeping open the shipping lanes. I'm just going to argue about what Israel's doing to the people of the Gaza. Can I just say a couple quick notes about the Barbary yeah. Wars that are very interesting? You know, yeah. uh, traditionally the French and the British they just paid them off. That was their like way of dealing with the Barbary Pirates. They were like, just pay him the money. And they advised uh, Jefferson. They are like, just pay them. But Jefferson had his principles, and he's Thomas Jefferson. So he's like, no man has a right to extort money from me. So he You're built right. up the Navy, and he went over there, and he fought this war against them. And the cost was so much greater than it would have been to just pay them off. And number two, if you want to talk about precedents that were set during the Barbary Wars, Thomas Jefferson launched the first military action without a declaration of war from the Congress. And it was Thomas Jefferson. It was Tom, the, the author of the Declaration of Independence who did it. And so I could also argue there were some pretty bad historical precedents set by that. Listen, the argument about the shipping lanes aside, point, sir, point taken. I don't think I don't think this is going to age well. I just think that there's a reason why the entire world is turning on Israel right now. And, and for the record, I don't I love Israel. I'm not against Israel. I I'm Jewish. I have a lot of family uh, uh, connections to Israel. I think Israel is a is a cool country and they've pulled off something amazing. They've done something really incredible. They created a country that's a great place to live. And the truth is that if you are an Arab in the Middle East, the best place to live is in Israel as long as you're a citizen. Yeah, The best place to I live agree. is not in Palestine, but in the same way that America is a great country and that America is a way better place to live than Saddam Hussein's Iraq, that doesn't mean what we did to Iraq was okay. And that doesn't mean that we weren't the bad guys in this fight. And I think you've. You're not putting me in that bucket, I hope. Because I no, I know you don't support the war in Iraq. I'm just saying you're so great on Iraq and you're so great on Ukraine and you're so great on the vaccine. Why can't you just be great on this too, Bobby? (laughs) That's what I'm saying to you. uh, Because I I don't. It doesn't make sense to me. I wish I could
1: too, but I just think it's wrong. But, but, you know, just as a footnote, I know you agree with me on this. I think that Gaza happened. Because, as a direct result of us overthrowing Saddam Hussein, and it allowed, you know, the, the um, it, it, I mean, we overthrew him, and not realizing that he was keeping in check the Shia majority in in uh, in Iraq, and the result was that. And and I want to say one other thing because of what happened in Turkey. Because I think you and I, I mean, what happened in Jordan this week? Because mm-hmm. I think you and I will agree on this. Um, when, when you know, we had funded Saddam Hussein and supported him in his war against uh, Iran, which killed a million people. But he was keeping, he was the primary bulwark against Iranian expansion in the region. Right. He was a key ally of ours, and Donald Rumsfeld and George Bush gave him permission to go into Kuwait. Again, because they were sucking his oil out from under yeah. his fields. And and he said, I'm going to, he, he went over there and said, I, I'm going to go in there. And they said, okay. And then he went in there and they said, oh, we're horrified. We got to go to war against them. We destroyed him and we created ISIS. ISIS was the, the Sunnis who were with Saddam, who were fighting the Shias, and now are thrown out of their own country. So we now have this, I think it is a catastrophic. A tactical decision. We've put these bases in Syria and Iraq. Iraq wants us out. They The vote, parliament voted us to get out. And they and we threatened that if we, if they make us leave, that we will not give them their the the dollars that were paid by the, by their oil money that are being held by the Fed. And then um, we had to replace. Saddam Hussein is the bulwark with U.S. military. So we put these soldiers in, uh, in harm's way in the middle of the desert along the Syrian border. Syria is another vassal state of Iran, where they're you know, vulnerable to these drones attacks. And it's just a matter of time, of course, before they get killed. We should not be in there. We should okay, withdraw so those that- bases. We should eliminate them from the area. We should withdraw do the bases, the traditional historic bases, where we're welcome, where the nations want us in there, and we can protect the sea lanes from there. We should not. And by the way, ISIS is now the biggest enemy in the region to Iran. ISIS killed a hundred Iranians two weeks ago. And we claim that the reason we have that base there is to fight ISIS. Yeah. So, you know, it, it is it, Look, it is, that, that is insane what we're doing there.
0: That is somewhere where we can certainly find an area of agreement, get all of our troops out of those regions where they never should have been before. I would exactly. just take it one step further and do what uh, Colin Powell wanted to do after 9-11. What um, uh, Michael Shormer, the, the CIA head of the bin Laden unit said, which is that also... We got to get out of supporting Israel, what they do to the Palestinians. But we'll agree to disagree on that. Listen, sir, I will say I very much respect you coming on to, to go back and forth with me. And I I, I do uh, appreciate that very much. Um, so please let people know where they can support you um, uh, on the campaign trail and, and anything else that you want to uh, mention to my listeners.
1: Yeah, I mean, people can come. I got to get a million signatures, kennedy24.com. And David, I, you know, I really I enjoy talking with you. I respect you. I know that you believe in what you say. Um, you're very well researched. You're one of the best informed people that I know of. You're, you make the best defense of this that any of anybody that I've ever heard of your position. I think you're wrong on it. Um, I respect you, though. And I respect you for holding that position, and I know that it's heartfelt. And for me, it is not an easy. Decision. I, I believe I'm on the right side of it, um, but I also see the jeopardy of it. I see the peril. And I don't like being in the same camp on this particular issue with people like Netanyahu and the neocons. I don't like that at all. Uh, but I think ultimately, I'm you know, my position is the correct one. But, uh, you know, it, it's not an easy one because, you know, we could be walking into World War II. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, thank you for having me on and thank you for having this kind of congenial discussion, which is what we all ought to be doing everywhere across our country, being able to have well-informed talks about, you know, difficult issues and still be able to love each other as Americans.
0: Yeah, I I completely agree with that. So, yeah, amen to that. And anytime you want to, I appreciate the kind words. And like I said, I appreciate you coming on. So anytime, doors always open to you, sir. Thank you, David. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Catch you next time. The
1: offer for vice president is still open. (laughs) Oh, no. Oh,
0: man. I might be in trouble. All right. Catch you guys next time. (laughs)